Hey, how's it going? It's Tyler Murphy, and you're listening to the Lonely Painter Podcast, and it is New Year's Eve day. I'm just sitting here drinking a little bit of coffee. Uh, so last week I talked a lot about um, John Paul Sartre, a little bit of existentialism, some of uh, Sartre's thoughts on being, and uh, that we're condemned to freedom and tried to dive into my interpretation of what he's saying there and and why it might be somewhat useful for us to at least become a little bit familiar with, with uh, some of his assertions. So uh, a lot of people emailed in, I think three or four different people that listen uh, regularly emailed in, and um, I appreciate the emails. So I'll probably uh, here soon get to those emails and... Uh, go from there and um, try my best to answer any questions that come up in it. The only thing I thought I'd share maybe before getting into some of these e- emails, I'd like to try to explain and maybe uncover even for myself a little bit of why it is that I've been drawn to thinkers like Sartre, Kierkegaard, um, and why why I think they are worth taking a look at these days. And and really the main thing is is that I think that we do live in a time where a lot of us are questioning what to do with our lives. And I think that this has been kind of at the forefront of my mind for quite a while now. So like two years ago was our first story night. And the story that I shared at that first story night went something along the lines of of this. Some years ago, I think it, when would it have been? Maybe like 20, I bet it was, yeah, I bet it was 2015 or so. I think it was after the summer tour, uh, coffee tour that I went on and uh, kind of chose to to change directions for one summer with my life, which looking back on it was one of the healthiest choices that I that I've made in a while to to realize that I'm not necessarily destined to be a painter for the rest of my life. I think that I really needed to come to understand that. So I went on this summer tour, made all these friends with uh, these different uh, like 20-some year olds. I still had my gallery back in Red Lodge. I left it in the hands of a good friend and I basically became a barista and an assistant camp cook, which was incredibly humbling because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And, of course, uh, you know, some of these 18-year-old guys knew way more than I did about coffee and were in charge and were in charge of training me. And, um, by the way, if you can hear, uh, there's a lot of snow blowers and stuff outside we we're getting a good little buildup of snow here in Billings. So anyways, I went on this summer tour, had to set my ego aside a little bit at different times, and uh, that was hard. And and yet, as I look back on it, um, you know, after I got past that first week of training and fighting through insecurities of being the idiot at the start of, of the job where... I didn't know what I was doing at all. Once I got past all of that, I really, really enjoyed 
myself. I was able to just kind of give myself to serving those who were directly around me, the other crew members on the tour, and then of course any customers that come up and, and bought uh, coffee. And since I was the assistant camp cook, I was a lot of times, you know, waking up at like six, getting pancakes and eggs and everything ready for the for the different crew members. We were all camped out at different music festivals around the country, and so we had this kitchen trailer and stuff. Anyways, that's a long beginning to tell you about how a few months after that, several of the of the friends who who were on that tour with me, we all went to this place called Potosi Hot Springs. And so one friend in particular who was on the tour, Potosi Hot Springs was his favorite place to go all through high school. And he decided to invite all of us friends that were on the tour with him, as well as several of his family members to come and, and see this, this hot springs that had meant so much to him. And it was really cool watching you know, when we arrived that night, set up camp, and watching my friend Josh just get really, um, really come alive and and really take charge of so many different, uh, you know, tasks that need to be done in that kind of camping situation. And then, so we go out and hike out to the hot springs that are like a half mile from the camp and and it's raining on us while we're walking out there and then there's sheet lightning in the sky and we're like kind of all a little worried that maybe maybe we'll get um, struck by lightning and that'll be the way that we all die but we were kind of all having so much fun that we were okay with it anyways we walk back oh yeah it hailed on us <laughs> while we were sitting in the hot springs and it was starting to get kind of big and we were we were all kind of freaking out a little bit yeah. So anyways, we walk back to to uh, our camp. Most everybody goes to bed, but Josh and I are sitting out around the fire and and we just start talking about about life and he has or he was uh kind of finishing up his last year or two of college and he started talking about how kind of how insecure he was about his future. He had a lot of angst about, you know, what what it was that he was going to do with the rest of his life and felt like he needed to make some decisions. It kind of suddenly struck me in that moment that, I mean, I, I often am there. I'm often uh, in that same position that my friend was in where I'm looking at my life going, man, what, what should I do with my time here on this earth? But then I realized sitting there talking to him that there was something so beautiful and so enlivening for Josh in just the very act of taking his friends and family to this place that he cared so much about, this place called Potosi Hot Springs. So I think I mentioned that to him like, Josh, you know, it really doesn't matter what you do with your life. Just keep on bringing people back to Potosi Hot Springs. And it's not even that you know, Potosi Hot Springs, for me, in saying that is like a, it's symbolic of keep on, you know, pay attention to those times where you find yourself coming to life, where you find yourself going, wow, something really meaningful is happening here. I can't wait to share this with other people. Pay attention to the times where, where you feel like you're serving other people in a way that 
that is delightful for yourself and delightful for those you're serving. You know, what is it uh, that we should do with our lives? It's kind of the question that a lot of us have to answer. And that's what Sartre, I think, in, in talking about being precedes essence, he's saying that that's up to, that's kind of up to us to figure out. And so I like the idea of just asking that question of, are there, are there things I do that increases delight in other people or perhaps decreases suffering in other people? That is where I think a lot of times in work, we find that our, our work is most meaningful when we can sense that the, one of those two things is happening. A lot of times, I think, in our work, we kind of get into a rhythm and we've, we lose sight of how one of those two things is, is perhaps being accomplished. We get so specialized into the task before us and we forget how it really impacts the end user the end consumer, um, et cetera. And so that, I think that th those are the kinds of questions we should be asking ourselves. When do I sense that the work I'm doing is bringing delight or decreasing suffering for others? And that, that might not even be the work, you know, the actual job that you have. It could be, you know, I think a lot of people find meaning in their work because their work provides a paycheck, but then relates to putting food on the table for their family. And so you can find your your work to be very meaningful in that sense. But then I think you run the risk of, you know, 20 years down the line, once your kids are gone, the thing that was giving you meaning is no longer there in, in your work. And so then I think a lot of times people do consider changing careers at that time. So those are just some, some thoughts to, to keep in mind as as, um, as I'm talking about this, this is kind of where I'm coming from, that experience of leaving behind the gallery for a summer, you know, that time where I was out there with my friend Josh and having this sudden realization that, that it's, it's not so much about what we do, but, but really sensing that what we do uh, does one of those two things. That's kind of where I think a lot of my interest stems from and, and maybe why I'm drawn toward things like existentialism. There's some other things and maybe I'll get into it in, later in this episode or, or in a future episode. Uh, existentialism kind of has this notion of the universe being absurd, being a really weird place that kind of defies our ability to make sense of it at times. And I think that for me, that feels really true, especially as I look back over my life at some of the hard times can be almost offensive to try to ascribe meaning, especially to like things where, you know, a good friend passed away and really in just a, a strange way that it's hard to say exactly why that happened. And so I think that's what they mean by we live in an absurd universe. You know, think of the calamities of, of, of war, men, like men killing each other. I think that uh, sometimes it can feel pretty offensive to try to uh, make sense of and, and, 
and ascribe a set meaning to any tragedy like that. So anyways, <laughs> let's move on to some of the emails. Okay, so I already recorded this once, but then I uh, accidentally deleted um, everything that I recorded. So round two. All right. So this is from uh, a friend, and she says, I hope you're doing well this season. Your recent pod, <clears throat> your recent pod was quite enjoyable. Keen on the fact that you didn't stay too much on one particular thought. Thanks. <laughs> like that uh, I like that you like how much it uh, bounced around and uh, she says I like that you changed the name too um, hopefully you won't feel like a lonely painter for terribly long and uh, you know sometimes I'm, I can feel pretty lonely um, for the most part I'd say that I'm I'm not uh, lonely in the sense of that I feel sad because I'm alone but I kind of, I named it that for a multitude of reasons. I mean, sometimes I am actually sad and lonely. Sometimes I think of lonely as just that I'm by myself um, and that that is kind of the occupation that I have. But also um, I named it that so that you could read it like Tyler's the Lonely Painter or that it's for Lonely Painters. Uh, so you can kind of read it either ways, either, either way. Um, okay, it's good to feel that, uh, she goes on to say about loneliness, that it's good to feel that way at times, though, because that's when we have the opportunity to look within and figure out why and what it is we can do. Those are beautiful moments when healing happens if we allow it, discovering who we truly are, what we're made of, and then moving on from whatever has been holding us back. Uh, let's see. I'm going to... I'm going to skip down to um, where she wrote in regarding the waiter, and um, and I, maybe I can address a little bit of that part. So she says uh, that the waiter bit was interesting. I'm unsure I fully understood. So let me read um, the actual an actual excerpt from Sartre himself um, that I was referring to, because I don't know that I did a very good job of... Uh, kind of retelling or paraphrasing what it is that he has said. So uh, this comes from uh, being in nothingness, and uh, Sartre notices a waiter who strikes him as overly devoted to his role. And so he says, regarding the waiter, his movement is quick and forward, a little too precise, a little too rapid. He comes toward the patrons with a step that is a little too quick. He bends forward a little too eagerly. His voice, his eyes, express an interest a little too solicitous for the order of the customer. Okay, now I'll go back to her email. She says, uh, Sure we aren't our occupation or anything, or anything for that matter, for 24-7. Uh, we are multifaceted beings. I don't find anything wrong with trying to do a job in the most efficient way one knows how. Just because... We may not understand where a person is coming from or might be put off. Even uncomfortable by their enthusiasm doesn't mean they're pretentious. Um, she says, I served for, I served uh, tables for a number of years. I'm a friendly person. I smiled quite often, not because of pretense, but 
because I wanted people to feel comfortable and welcome. Uh, by doing so also helped me overcome situations where people's behavior was less than pleasant because I was smiling and that helped me not to take things too personally. Yeah, I think, I think that's all great. I think that the point, um, you know, that Sartre is making with the waiter is maybe it's not a waiter that you've seen before, but someone who seems, uh, yeah, like overly devoted to their role and that they've kind of forgotten that they are not wholly that thing that they're, that they're doing. And, and I think we can't necessarily judge that in other people. Sometimes we kind of get the sense or maybe put off and we think that that's how somebody else is. But I think the real question is, um, you know, is for each of us to ask ourselves, am I, am I kind of acting uh, in bad faith in that way? Am I, am I maybe being overly devoted to the, the things that, that seem to be my identity? So I think that's, no, nobody really but an individual can answer that for themselves. And I think that Sartre is just trying to get us to ask that of ourselves. Because, like I think I said on the podcast last week, there have been choices I've made where once I made the choice, I went, oh, why did I take so long to finally choose to do that? And and I think with a lot of these things, we we forget that we are free. And sometimes once we move on from something, then we realize that we were free the whole time. And so um, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's not even possible for somebody else to to kind of help wake you up out of that. I think that's what Sartre's trying to do. That's kind of what I'm trying to do, you know, in talking about this is asking you, the listener, you know, is there anything that you have just sort of that you're doing or you've just taken it on because, you know, this is just the way that my life is. Have you just kind of resigned to uh, your lot in life, I guess, is maybe the way to say it. And only you can answer that. She goes on to say, uh, I, for one, agree with you on introducing yourself, oneself at parties. In the past, I've dealt with severe social anxieties along with painful shyness. Um, she says like how working in the service industry has, has helped her to overcome some of that anxiety. I think, I think that's really cool and, and beautiful when we can just be open and honest about that. Let's see. Okay, thanks for that email. I think I need to move on to the next one. So this is from a friend. Um, she said, you talked about the issue of freedom in your recent podcast. I thought it was really interesting and wanted to ask you a question. Do you believe in fate or destiny? Do you believe that God or some higher force have a greater plan? And basically, and basically we think that we have control over things, over our destiny, that we have choice and freedom, but there's actually a predetermined sequence of events or outcomes. Um, yeah, I think my answer to that is that just simply I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think when Sartre is saying that it's kind of up to us to choose and for us to find uh, meaning and beauty in life, that, you know, it might be that God created 
um, at the end of all things that it was God who who makes things like the fact that if you help others that feels meaningful to you that might be you know that might be just the way that that God made it I don't think that Sartre himself uh, I'm not sure that he takes it that far um, but it is it's more like can I recognize um, what is beautiful and meaningful as I'm moving through life and can I have the courage to move toward those things and so I'm not sure that I that I really um, need to feel totally certain about why it is like that helping others to feel delight you know increasing delight in others or decreasing their suffering suffering I'm not sure that I really need to know why that is meaningful for me as I engage in activities that accomplish those things whether that's God ordained or possibly not um, isn't as much of an interesting question to me as just am I recognizing uh, beauty in that those meaningful times and am I moving towards those okay and that that I, I got one other email uh, from a friend uh, who sent a video and I think kind of the way I answered that last part would be how I would maybe respond to the video that uh, that you sent although I might email you separately and and maybe try to go into more depth. Okay, I had one other friend who um, I was talking to about Sartre a little bit, and he just sent over a and he just sent over a text that had a uh, link to a letter that Hunter S. Thompson um, wrote to a friend regarding advice, and uh, I'd like to maybe just read a few parts from that because, or he actually references Sartre a few times in it, and uh, I'm not real familiar familiar with Hunter S. Thompson, but I thought that this letter was quite beautiful. And I, I like what he kind of has to say about advice. So apparently he wrote this when he was pretty young to a friend. It says that he was like 22 when he wrote it to a friend named uh, Hume. And uh, so this would have been in 1958. So he says, Dear Hume, you ask advice. Ah. What a very human and very dangerous thing to do. For to give advice to a man who asks what to do with his life implies something very close to egomania. To presume to point a man in the right and ultimate goal, to point with a trembling finger in the right direction, is something only a fool would take upon himself. I am not a fool, but I respect your sincerity in asking my advice. I ask you, though, in listening to what I say to remember that all advice can only be a product of the man who gives it. I think that's really interesting. Like, I mean, even to listen to, listen to the advice that you give other people, sometimes that can tell you more about yourself than, uh, than a lot of things. I think I said it last week on the podcast. Sometimes I tend to give advice that's just particular to uh, my life and like things that I find work for me, but maybe aren't, wouldn't necessarily be helpful for other people. So 
that's where I'm trying to maybe lean into trying to figure out what are good questions to ask for me to ask myself and, 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 um, and then sharing, just kind of sharing those and you're free to ask yourself those same questions or, or not. Okay. So, uh, I ask you though, in listening to what I say to remember that all advice can only be a product of the man who gives it. What is truth to one may be disaster to another. Yeah. I do not see life through your eyes, nor, nor you through mine. If I were to attempt to give you specific advice, it would be too much like the blind, too much like the blind leading the blind. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against the sea of troubles. And indeed, that is the question. Whether to float with the tide or to swim for a goal. It is a choice we must all make, consciously or unconsciously, at one time in our lives. So few people understand this. Think of any decision you've ever made which had a bearing on your future. I may be wrong, but I don't see how it could be anything but a choice, however indirect, between two things I've mentioned, the floating or the swimming. Um, I'll see if there's anything else that kind of sticks out to me. He says, uh, he says, I'm going to steer clear of the word existentialism, but you might keep it in mind as a, as a key of sorts. You might also try something called Being and Nothingness by John Paul Sartre, and another little thing called Existentialism from Dostoevsky to Sartre. These are merely suggestions. If you're genuinely sat satisfied, this I like this line here. It says, if you're genuinely satisfied with what you are and what you're doing, then give those books a wide berth. And then, he, and then parenthetically, he says, let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> but back to the answer. As I said, to put our faith in tangible goals would seem to be at best unwise. So we do not strive to be firemen. We do not strive to be bankers, nor policemen, nor doctors. We strive to be ourselves. And that's, I, I didn't really talk about Sartre and his idea of bad faith, but um, maybe, maybe down the road I'll maybe dive into that a little more. But to be ourselves, and for Sartre it's that we live authentically. And, and he would insist that it's really only us that, that can, uh, with good conscience, answer that question, are we or are we not? That's the that's why he, you know, used that example of the soldier who could either go and fight in the war um, and be a, a small part of something big, or stay at home and take care of his elderly mother and be a big part in the in the life of one individual. You know, which one is better? Hard to say. Only that young man can really decide. That it's not like he can look to um, a religious doctrine or a philosophy to give him the answer to that existential question. Which way will I go? That's the angst that that, that young man finds himself in. And I think that's the angst. You know, that's the kind of angst that my friend Josh, as he was sitting out 
at the fire that one night trying to decide what what do I want to do with my life he's got to make the choice and only he will really be the one who can answer that question for himself of, of is he living in in good faith or in bad faith is he being authentic or inauthentic um, is he really striving to be himself this is maybe also good to to keep in mind uh, okay uh, Thompson goes on to say but don't misunderstand me I don't mean that we can't be firemen or bankers or doctors but that we must make the goal conform to the individual rather than make the individual conform to the goal. In every man, heredity and environment have combined to produce a creature of certain abilities and desires, including a deeply ingrained need to function in such a way that his life will be meaningful. Rather than bending himself to meet the demands of that which he seeks, he has bent his goal to conform to his own abilities and desires. In short, he has not dedicated his life to reaching a predefined goal, but he has rather chosen a way of life he knows he will enjoy. The goal is absolutely secondary. I like this part. It is functioning toward the goal, which is important. So it's, it's not so much about you know, the end destination as it is the journey towards it. And it seems almost ridiculous to say that man must function in a pattern of his own choosing. For to let another man define your goal is to give up one of the most meaningful aspects of life, a definitive act of will, which makes a man an individual. I like this, he says, uh, but beware of looking for goals. Look for a way of life. Decide how to live and then see what you can do to make a living within that way of life. But you say, I don't know where to look. I don't know what to look for. And there's the crux. Is it worth giving up what I have to look for something better? I don't know. Is it? Who can make that decision but you? But even by deciding to look, you go a long way toward making the choice. I like what he says here. Keep in, And maybe I'll just close with this. Keep in mind that this is my way of looking at things. I happen to think that it's pretty generally applicable, but you may not. Each of us has to create our own credo. This merely happens to be mine. He says, I'm not trying to send you out on the road in search of Valhalla, but merely pointing out that it is not necessary to accept the choices handed down to you by life as you know it. No one has to do something he doesn't want to do for the rest of his life. But then again, if that's what you wind up doing, by all means convince yourself that you had to do it. You'll have lots of company. Okay, that's... I think that's a good way to end this uh, episode. And uh, if you have any uh, other questions, comments, stories, um, email them in, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Be good to yourselves. <laughs>